Welcome to ADHD Flourishing about living awesomely with autism and ADHD. You deserve recognition for both the challenges and the superpowers of this unique neurotype. Let's celebrate wisdom and support from real life stories and talk strategies to manage the difficulties of day-to-day life so we can move beyond that to thriving and building a sustainable and awesome life. If you want to be here, you are accepted here and you belong. I'm your ADHD host, Mattia Murray. Let's do this. Today, my topic is feelings. Why? Why do we have them? What are they for? What can we do about them? I've personally had a very complex relationship with emotions and with my inner world of emotions, partly as an autistic person, partly as a trauma person and survivor of a lot of childhood abuse. Emotions have often felt unsafe and intense. But the reason I'm actually using the word feelings in the title and not emotions is I'm also talking about sensations. And just so you know, a lot of my language and ideas were formed by reading the book How Emotions Are Made by Lisa Feldman Barrett. I read the book for the first time four or five years ago, I think, and actually have not read it recently, so I'm not directly quoting her. I just found it enormously helpful, and it was one of the first times I'd heard someone talking about emotion in a way that made sense to me. And it was actually before I knew I was autistic, so it was interesting reading it and thinking, oh, of course, of course this is how people think about emotions, and then talking to other people about the book and learning, no, that is not the way that they process at all or think about them. One of the core ideas in the book, and one that I think is extremely interesting, is that emotions are cultural. They are not universal, and she actually does a really great takedown of a lot of the social science from the mid-20th century that went around the world and claimed that there were universal emotions and facial expressions that were common across all cultures and all people. Turns out, for a bunch of those studies, they were actually only accepting people into the studies if those people already agreed with their definitions of the term when it was translated. So essentially, they were choosing people that already agreed this is what this facial expression means, and then they obviously found that these facial expressions and emotions were universal. So taking a step back to the internal experience, the sensations part of what we call feelings, before we have an emotion label, there's typically a feeling in our body. And one of the ways that it's talked about in research is essentially that feelings are and sensations are between pleasant and unpleasant and high and low arousal. So a graph where those are the two lines. So for example, low arousal or, you know, sort of less intense and pleasant would be feeling calm and staying in that pleasant space, but going up to high arousal would be excited, elated, etc. And to my mind, it just made so much sense that yes, all of the things I'm experiencing in my body are between high and low arousal. Or maybe another way of thinking about that is how engaged your body and nervous system are, and then between pleasant and unpleasant. And then there's also a good amount of neutral in the middle for both, where there's not necessarily a lot going on. And then on top of that graph, essentially, we have a bunch of cultural labels that we attach to things. And another one of the most interesting things in the book to me is that there are a lot of emotions that used to exist that no longer exist because we don't use those words or terms anymore. We don't think about them in that way anymore. They're not in the culture. And there will be emotions in the future that we currently don't talk about or use that will become common in future cultures. So when we take a label like sad, happy, excited, 
there's a lot of cultural information that goes into that. And to some extent, there's sort of a feedback loop where our opinions and ideas about the sensation can affect our body, which makes sense because the mind-body system is in fact one system. Our, our brains and our minds and our bodies are all extremely interconnected. So why do we have these sensations at all? It's part of our body's attempt to maintain homeostasis. So our body wants to stay in that neutral place most of the time. Because if you think about it, even a positive high arousal like excitement doesn't feel good after too long. And also, incidentally, excitement and anxiety feel very similar physiologically, although one is typically seen as less pleasant. So our body is trying to reach homeostasis. And when our body thinks that something is happening or senses that something is happening, it sends out signals to tell the rest of the body to get back in line and bring things back to homeostasis. So for example, if our heart rate is very elevated, our body wants it to come back down at some point. One way I've heard this put in layman's terms is that emotions are our body's way of trying to keep us safe and giving us signals that something may not be safe and that we need to potentially take action to take care of something externally or internally. So in some very real sense, the sensations, the body feelings, what's happening in our body is the actual underlying experience. And all emotion words are an additional layer of thought that we've placed on top of them. Part of the reason this made so much sense to me is that my particular autistic experience has been that I will notice some of those sensations, but I don't necessarily attach an emotion word to it unless I have to, unless I'm speaking to someone and trying to describe it in a way that makes sense to them. And especially since I learned this high-low arousal, pleasant-unpleasant valence system, that's honestly how I experience a lot of my own body sensations now. So I don't typically walk around thinking I'm happy, I'm sad, unless I'm specifically trying to interface with my body in a more verbal way, which again, I just don't always do. And it's totally fine if you do, if you experience those emotions through that verbal lens, that can be really useful to have that self-knowledge and self-insight. Another thing that's very common in autistic people is to have low interoception, which is being able to feel what's happening inside our bodies, which is our body attempting to achieve homeostasis. And a lot of the way that you understand what your emotional state is, is through being able to feel inside of your body. So if you have low access to that, you may not have the same type of emotional experiences that a lot of typically developing people would describe. Although interestingly, at least when I was a kid, it was assumed that we just couldn't feel things. And now the theory is more, we are actually more empathetic and taking in more sensory perception, and it's actually an overwhelm. So it's our body trying to shut some of that information out and actually take in less information. So I know for myself, as I've managed my sensory load, lowered my total sensory load, it has been easier for me to receive messages from my body. And even if you're not autistic, that could be the case for you for a variety of reasons, that overwhelm can make it harder to hear useful signals from your body. And then what happens when our body has been trying to send a message and we have been not getting the message or not acting on it for whatever reason, the message gets louder, typically. This can show up in the form of pain or anxiety or other ways that your body's trying to get your attention. A really small example of that is when you need to go to the bathroom and you either can't go right now for a variety of reasons 
or you're just really wrapped up in what you're doing, or you just have that demand avoidance and you just don't want to go right now, so you just don't. And eventually you will need to go badly enough that you will actually be receiving pain signals. And I remember being really mad as a kid about that specifically, actually being on trips in the car and not being able to get to a bathroom and really needing to go and being angry that my body was giving me pain when I got the message, I knew I needed to go. Why was it doing this? And then as my internal perception has improved, I've realized that actually, even at that point as a kid, I often wasn't noticing that I needed to go until it was fairly extreme or I might notice, but I wouldn't say anything. So it's this really interesting journey of learning what signals your body is giving you and learning what to do with them. One thing that comes up quite a bit when I'm talking to people, both in my coaching practice and just in general with my friends, because a lot of them have a lot of the same issues or background that I do, is around processing emotions and what do I do once it's there? Okay, I'm getting a signal from my body. Something needs to happen but either I'm not sure what it is, or I don't feel I can take action right now, or I'm not sure what to do, or I otherwise feel stuck. And that's especially common with a trauma type response. But there can be all kinds of reasons that we feel that we can't really engage with or process our emotions right now. At a very basic level, if your body is trying to achieve homeostasis and it's giving you a message, you more or less have two basic options. One is to ignore that and suppress it and not deal with it. And the other is to address it in some way. You may be able to tell from what I'm saying that I think leaning into that second option in some form is typically going to work better for you in the long run. That said, sometimes ignoring and even dissociating actually are a really reasonable coping mechanism for a wide variety of reasons. So I'm actually not at all down on people who just need to ignore this so they can function. A really obvious example would be if you're experiencing grief and you need to be able to take a break from that in order to take care of your kids or go to work. And actually on that note, I think a lot of us are experiencing a lot of grief at this point in February 2022. So I know I personally and a lot of people I'm talking to are having to do this more than we maybe would like to kind of push emotions out of the way, push those sensations out of the way, just so we can get through the day and get on with our lives. So that's a totally fine option if that's where you're at. And then what I encourage you to do, if that's kind of how you're functioning right now day to day, is to create little spaces of time where you are able to listen in and respond to your body. And one thing I really like to do, even if I have not yet figured out what's going on and what I need to do, is actually just to acknowledge that my body is trying to tell me something. I personally really like saying things out loud because I think hearing them from your own ears, you're both saying it and you're hearing it at the same time. It just gets into your brain in both of those ways. I will literally say out loud to myself, I can tell that you're trying to tell me something, body, And I might ask a question like, what are you trying to tell me? When I very first got into this kind of processing, I used to write down answers. And I've also done a practice where I write with my non-dominant hand, which is very messy, but it accesses a different part of your brain. So if you're at that point where you truly do not know what the information is and you feel like you don't have a way to access it, literally asking yourself a question and then letting the answer come out, either verbally or in writing or typing, 
or even talking with another person, having them ask you questions and try to kind of draw it out. That can be a useful way to get into it. Another is to kind of skip the emotion part altogether. A lot of the modalities around processing emotions are around finding the emotion word to describe the sensation in your body. And personally, I like to just deal with the actual sensations and what's going on in my body. I really like a practice called noticing and naming. This is very simple. I learned it from Linda Tai, and it works for sensations and emotions. So you might say, I'm noticing a little tightness in my stomach. I'm not sure what it is. It could be hunger. It could be nervousness. So it's just kind of talking through noticing and saying, naming what you're experiencing. And if an emotion word does come up and you want to use it, by all means, if that's a useful language shorthand for you, go for it. But being able to dig a little bit into the body sensation can also be very useful. And one thing I really like to do is put a hand where the sensation is happening, because for me, it helps me connect to my body a little bit more in a way that just thinking about it doesn't always do. So when I place a hand over that spot where I'm feeling sensation, or even both hands, if you want a little bit of added pressure, sometimes just feeling that sensation of your hand can help you connect to the emotion. Some things you could ask yourself are, does it have a temperature? Does it have a color associated with it? Are there any other images or words or memories that are coming to mind? This is more of the active processing. Another interesting thing about these sensations in our body is that they typically only last for a few minutes unless we're holding on to them. And by that, I mean the exact sensation that's happening right now that's trying to give you some information. If you focus on that exact sensation and try to describe it in great detail, most of the time that sensation will be different in a few minutes unless you're really gripping and holding on to it in some way. For me, sometimes attaching the emotion word to it and then sitting there and thinking, I'm sad, I'm sad, I'm sad, or whatever that thought is, actually holds on to it tighter and makes me feel it for longer. And to me, that's a feeling of tension and contraction, typically, so kind of getting smaller and tighter. And when I'm noticing and naming and just allowing a sensation in my body, typically that is a feeling of expansion. I can often feel it morphing and changing fairly quickly. And that's a really simple way to, quote, process an emotion is just to notice it, name it, sit with it for just a minute or so, maybe put your hand on it and just notice what's happening and keep describing it if it's changing, because it usually will keep changing pretty quickly, because this is not just happening in our head. It is a message from our body. And if our body is not getting a response... It'll usually keep moving along and trying to find another way of giving us that information. And if you just feel bad and you don't want to do any of this stuff, there is HALT, Hungry, Angry, Lonely, Tired. I think that's what it stands for, which is you might need a snack or you might be thirsty. We're often a little bit dehydrated, so water is also good. You might be angry about something, which, I mean, is an emotion, but Anger is one that a lot of people, and especially non-men, tend to ignore or push aside and don't want to feel because it's not as culturally appropriate. Lonely, we might just need to be around another person, and I know there's so much loneliness happening right now. And then tired, when we're not consistently getting really restful sleep, 
it can be more difficult to manage our emotions. Plus, our body is trying to reach that homeostasis point, And one of the things that it wants is good sleep. So whatever that looks like for you, it's not about the total number of hours. It's about how restful it is. I do something sometimes that's like a super tiny mini nap. I'm literally not even lying down. I just close my eyes. You could basically just say I'm meditating, but I'm not trying to do anything in particular. I'm just giving myself a 30 to 60 second break. It's sort of a sensory break as well. Closing my eyes, just letting myself rest a little bit. If I'm sufficiently exhausted, I might actually fall asleep when I do that, which is how I know I'm really tired and I need a real nap or to make sure I get a good night's sleep tonight. And I know that's a huge topic because there are all kinds of reasons people don't get good sleep. I don't even love the word good attached to that because it sounds kind of moralistic. But anyway, if you're feeling strong emotions and for whatever reason you don't want to notice or name or process or do anything with them, a glass of water, eat a snack, take a nap, check in with a person, do some free writing if you think you're angry about something, you know, write an angry letter to someone, let yourself process that. I guess that is processing. But anyway, the hungry, angry, lonely, tired can be a good place to check in as well if you just don't know what the information is, but you're just upset. You may have heard in some form the idea that our thoughts create our emotions. I think it's a lot more complicated than that because also trauma can cause an emotional response, a body response, without any intervening thought in particular. But in some sense, yes, partly because all emotion words and concepts are culturally constructed and we have to buy into that before we'll put the label on it. And otherwise, it's just a sensation in our body. If this is resonating with you and you find it interesting, I highly recommend the book, How Emotions Are Made. It is kind of long, but it's very interesting. And I listened to the audiobook version, and then I bought the physical book because I enjoyed it so much. And because I mentioned trauma, I do want to just quickly speak to that in the sensation and emotions side of things. Because when we are experiencing a trigger or a flashback, and we're pushed into this extreme nervous system activation of some kind, which can either be the up of fight, flight, freeze, fawn. Freeze is an elevated nervous system response. And then there's also the low response of essentially feeling a, a deep depression, that playing possum mode of feeling like it's very difficult to move or do anything. So that's the low response, but it's still a nervous system response and it's still a threat response. And that's essentially what your body goes to when it thinks you are imminently going to die. So fight, flight, freeze, fawn is I can still do something about this. I have all this adrenaline in my body so that I can take action, so I can do something, even if it's freezing and holding still so that no one will see me and I can stay safe. And then once you get past that point, essentially, and your body feels that there's nothing it can do and you're just going to die, then you go down into that low dorsal area. And if you're frequently experiencing flashbacks and an activated nervous system, with or without flashbacks, in a certain sense, your body has a habit of going to this place and seeing danger. And to be fair, you may still be experiencing danger. So I don't want to act like this is all in the past and we're just past it. There absolutely are active aggressions and fears and real life things happening that are affecting our nervous system still and adding to that. And it's very difficult to process those emotions and do any kind of healing or somatic work when you know that tomorrow you're going to be facing racism and homophobia and ableism and not being able to exist freely and safely. And if you're affected by any of those things on a regular basis or anything else that's causing you to actually be unsafe in the world, just want to validate 
it's not just you and you have every right to be angry and upset. And sometimes allowing and processing some of that anger as it comes up, sometimes that feels better than internalizing it, which I know I did for a long time. And for me, that turned into a lot of physical symptoms on top of what I already have. So my takeaway for today is if you're feeling feelings, if you're feeling overwhelmed and you don't know what to do, you don't know where to even start dealing with all of this stuff, and especially if you have other reasons that it's difficult for you to access this information in your body, whatever you're doing right now to get through the day and to survive is okay. You do not owe anyone, including yourself, a specific amount of healing or wellness or performing wellness or seeming okay. And if you are looking to process more and it seems overwhelming and you're worried that if you get into this, it's going to take over and you won't be able to function, give yourself super tiny opportunities to feel. I know this sounds silly, but even one second, five seconds, a minute for the next five seconds, I'm going to notice and allow all sensations that are happening in my body and my brain. And I said notice and allow. I didn't even say notice and name. Because if you're doing a really tiny amount, you might not even want to do that. You might just want to not attach any words to it at all. And before you even do that, you can orient to safety. This practice from Rosma Menachem, where you look all around the exits, look behind you and say to yourself, I'm safe right now, if you are safe right now and in a safe space. So if you do that first and then say, okay, five seconds, I'm just going to notice and allow all sensations in my body. And then just stop if it feels too unsafe. This is a way to get started and just lean in a little bit more to what's happening and the information that your body's trying to give you. And if you've been doing something like that for a long time and you feel relatively comfortable with processing and allowing emotions, you can journal, you can draw. I love that non-dominant hand, drawing and writing, for letting things come out that you may not be consciously aware of or may not be labeling. I've had some really interesting things come out of that. And if overall your feelings feel really overwhelming, remember that your body is trying to get you back to homeostasis and we're in a very unusual, prolonged state of stress right now as a world. So it makes sense that your body is struggling to come to homeostasis, keeps giving you messages that things are not okay, because in some very real sense, there are a lot of things that are not okay in the world. And it is possible for that to be true and also for you to find safety in this moment and find moments where you do feel okay. It's not denying what's going on in the world. It's just taking care of yourself. Thank you for being here. Thank you for listening. And thank you for taking care of yourself. I love you. Have a great week, and I'll talk to you next week. Thank you. I hope that sparked some ideas or possibilities for your own journey. If you'd like to go deeper, I invite you to click on the link in the show notes to join my newsletter, where I share more on these topics, point you to community resources, and share cute pictures of animals. I only send it when I have something meaningful to say. A friend put it well. With your newsletter, I feel like the predictability is in the quality, not the quantity, and it feels delightfully magical to have it pop up whenever it feels like it. Plus, you can respond directly to me, which I love. That link is in the show notes, or you can easily find it at my website, mattiamarie.com, M-A-T-T-I-A-M-A-U-R-E-E.com. 